Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hello, I'm Patrice Anwuka, Senior Policy Analyst for the Independent Women's Forum. And I'm joined today by Julie Gunlock, Director of the Culture of Alarmism Project at IWS. Now, America is in a sticky situation. We're facing an upstream battle with fertility. And at its head is low sperm counts among American men. If we don't figure this out, we'll be in loads of trouble. Now, okay, I, lots of jokes aside, today we're talking about low sperm counts and whether we should be alarmed by new research that suggests plastic is to blame. Julie wrote a piece for the Federalist debunking this flaccid research. So we're going to lean on Julie here for some hard truth. Julie, welcome to the program. I love it, Patrice. I love that intro. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Sure. All right. Now, this is interesting. Uh, This week I was watching an episode of one of my favorite reality TV shows that features rappers and and R&B artists. I watched three rappers go to a fertility clinic to test their sperm counts. Uh, Unfortunately, one ended up with a pretty low sperm count, uh, and, and it's a bummer for him and his wife since they're trying to have a baby. Uh, now, it's funny, but I, I don't think fertility is a funny issue for a lot of American and, and American families here. So, Julia, I understand that the possible reason behind this rapper having a low sperm count is because of the plastic water bottles he drinks out of and, and maybe even the, the plastic earbuds he listens to his music through. Right. Is that correct? Well, look, uh, that's what we're seeing in the media. This last week, there have been a number of hysterical headlines saying that plastics are to blame for a um, what, what some are saying is a low sperm count. But I think we need to first tackle the original question. Are we, are, and, and, and the, study, the study that this is based on um, is saying that, that there's a low sperm count crisis in men in Western nations, okay, Western developed English-speaking nations. Um, so that's the first question to tackle. Um, and the truth is, we simply do not know. We don't know if that's actually true, and I'm going to tell you why. First of all, the science in this area is, is not reliable. This is an area that really actually, it, it, it may surprise people, but this is an area that hasn't there hasn't been a lot of studies, and when scientists do look at the studies that have been done, uh, they're not that reliable. The methodology might be off. They might uh, not have a good sample size. Um, there, there might have been questions as to the way that they collected the sperm, um, and so, so there's a lot of questions. So the bottom line is we truly don't know if, if actually there is this sort of doom and gloom outlook for Western men's sperm count. But secondly, um, we also need to look at this suggestion um, that it's plastics. Um, the study that we're, we're that this all these headlines um, are rooted in, uh, they didn't really care about that question. They didn't really examine that question, which is, are the studies good? Um, they just looked at the studies. They saw that that there these studies show a decrease in fertility, a decrease in in, um, in sperm effectiveness, if you will, um, and then they, they looked for a reason. That really was basically it, and they said, oh, it must be plastics, and the reason is is because in Western nations, there's a lot more access to plastic, and Patrice, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, not just, uh, you know, it's not just a plastic water bottle. Everything from the c- container that your computer 
is in to earbuds um, to even your car dashboard. I mean, you can't, you literally can't go one minute without touching a piece of plastic. Um, and so that's essentially what we're seeing here with this study. It was correlation, not causation. And I'll go, I'll go more into that. Um, so the quick answer to your question, is this really a problem is one, we don't know. Uh, but two, this study is a very badly done study and mm. their suggestion that it's plastics is really just absurd. Well, we'll get into um, kind of how it's done and the methodology behind it, but you, know, you, you talked a little bit about correlation versus causation. I know I, I, I got a C in, in statistics, so I didn't do too well there, but I, I at least understand that, that just because A happens and B happens doesn't necessarily mean A leads to B. So can you right. explain what, what, what's going on when it, when it comes right. to causation and correlation here? Well, look, you know, it's real. It's there are a lot of studies done, and and they they do look for a correlation. And the difference between correlation and causation is correlation is there can be some correlations between things, some associations. Associations is another word for correlation. So, you know, you might say, goodness, um, you know, uh, you know, touching plastics um, is related to uh, cancer, right? You know, it, you look at the at the um, at the availability of plastics in Western nations, and you look at you know cancer rates, and you might say, okay, well these these two things as one went up. I, I have a better example. You look at uh, at the rise of autism. Okay, now a lot of people are very nervous about autism, and so they look for things that have also gone up, right? Because now what people don't know is autism the definition of autism has expanded. And so you have more people who have fit mm. into that category. That is the reason we see a rise in autism rates. Now, many activists, many activists like to say, well, it's because of, and, and at this point, Patrice, you can, you can stick in any, anything, because of plastics, because of pesticides, because of GMOs, because of, of, uh, of vaccinations. Whatever, whatever, you know, as people have vaccinated more, there's been a rise in autism. As people have used GMOs, there's been a rise in autism. As people have used plastics, there's been a rise. So you can, you can, you can pretty much put the rise of a disease and then you, you stick with it the rise of any use of any product or manufacturing technique or whatever, you ha whatever have you. Um, what's interesting is as people have, you, you can also look at, as people have started to eat more organic food. Well, I mean, that also mirrors the rise of autism. So you can, you can kind of, you can use this sort of correlation game, this sort of, you know, kabuki dance that's done to sort of associate whatever disease is with whatever you want to villainize. And that's what's happening here. Now, the, now there's another C word, and that's causation. Causation is when scientists can actually look at something and there is literally a, a smoking gun, a direct line, an actual blood test that says, this is what caused this disease. This almost never happens. I mean, there are some, some studies that have shown a, a, a causal link between this particular activity. For instance, smoking causes cancer. We know that. That is a causal link, okay? But there we have... Sort of in the scientific world, there are very few studies that actually are able to find that direct a link. So, 
you know, correlative studies are not something that we have to automatically throw in the garbage bin. They are useful. They can show trends. They can sort of give scientists, wow, maybe we need to look at this more. Maybe we need to examine this particular trend more. Um, But we need to realize that they are limited and not get hysterical. And that, unfortunately, is not what happened this week. This study came out. It is a bad study, for, and we can get into a variety of reasons why it's not a good study. It turns out that the studies, the, the researchers behind the studies are actually activists. Um, which is really important to know as well. They've got an agenda, they're a political agenda that they're trying to push, and they're using science to do that. So that's one. But you know, these are the things that people need to understand when these when these uh, scientific studies come out. Sadly, the headlines and the stories that came out with this study didn't didn't make any of these points. Didn't talk about how this was a, a correlation or and not a causation. Didn't talk about how. There are lots of things that could cause this, not necessarily plastic. So it's, it's, it's kind of unfortunate, but again, people really have to understand the limits of these kinds of studies. Well, and I think you're getting a little bit into reporting, which is, you know, reporters who are writing up these stories, we, we kind of lean on them to do a little bit more homework and have a better understanding and not just kind of to take the press release they get from the, uh, a paper and kind of to run with it. But Okay. You know, I want to dig back into the actual studies themselves and the people who are writing them. I mean, do you think that the that that this study in particular is is credible based on who's writing it? No. So the, one of the leads. So the first thing I always do when one of these studies comes out is, I you know I click on it. I look there. You, you can scroll down on the the you know the this study actually has not been peer reviewed and and I don't think it's been. I think they just sent out a press release sort of saying that well we're gonna you know publish this this study so it's sort of in the beginning stages so that they're and they're again what, why it's important to have it peer reviewed what what does well, that mean well what ha- yeah thank you for for what happens is is that you know um researchers will study something they'll write up their findings and they'll say you know this is this is how they they have to put in the methodology this is what we did right and this is how we came to these conclusions and then within the scientific community other scientists will then test that study's conclusions. And if they don't come up with the same conclusions, then it has not passed peer review. It's very important that studies sort of go through this process because, you know, I can, I can sit in my kitchen and, you know, mix together some ingredients and then write up a little briefing and say, look, I, I found out that, you know, baking soda does this. And, you know, then, and, and all these things that happen when I mix baking soda with all this stuff, I'm obviously using just kind of a silly little example here. And then what happens is it's important that another, another person in my peer group with, you know, that's in my specialty, um, then test my theory and to see if it holds water, if it's legitimate. And if it isn't, then it's, it did not pass the peer review process. Again, this is an important process. Um, this study I don't think has gone through the peer review process. But anyway, so I usually I go to the study, I look at the methodology, I look at what they've done. Um, and then one thing I always, always do is look at the authors because what we're seeing now is that the, there, there are two categories of scientists. There are real scientists that are working really hard to improve the human condition and to improve the lives of others and look for cures to diseases and try to really figure out how diseases work and, you know, how innovative, you know, innovative technologies can be improved. Um, and then there's a category of study of, of uh, researchers and scientists who have really been hijacked by environmental activists. And they often produce studies of questionable sort of, you know, standards. Um, they don't really meet scientific st- standards. But these people, you know, they have really impressive titles 
um, and, and they trot out these really badly done studies, which then generate headlines. And to an activist, that's all that's needed. You don't really, if you're an activist, you don't really need a good study. You just need a, a study that scares people. And unfortunately, science reporting in this country um, is really suffering. We are not seeing uh, reporters ask questions like, who, what is the agenda behind this study? Who are these scientists? What, uh, what previous studies have they done that are questionable? Um, it's important to point out that this male fertility study was done by a woman named Shanna Swan. Uh, she is, uh, as I said, she has, um, you know, s- she has some qualifications. Um, she is a professor of environmental medicine and public health obstetrics and gynecology and reproductive science at Mount Sinai School of Medicine. Um, but she is a well-known anti-chemical activist, and she is an acolyte of this man named Frederick von Saul, who is also an environmental activist, and he also does a lot of scientific studies that are widely dismissed and sort of mocked by um, by his wow. colleagues. He has been dismissed by the National Toxicology Pro- Program, and some of his um, colleagues, like a reproductive health experts like Richard Sharp um, in, in the UK, have denounced him. Um, and so I think it's really important. Now, this is the thing. I'm not a scientist, and I'm not a journalist. And I, it was very easy for me to Google these names and figure out and look at Shanna Swan's previous studies, which are laughable, and yet I saw none of this in the coverage um, of, in the stories that were done. And that's disappointing. And so what we have here is we have Americans who are nervous, um, and who can no longer rely on the on the on the on sort of journalistic integrity, um, and journalists just doing basic research and finding out the motives of of these scientists who are tr- really putting out bad that information. And what's really sad too is there doesn't seem to be mechanisms within the scientific community to really control this kind of behavior of scientists who are trotting out very bad, laughable studies that none of their colleagues uh, respect. Um, and yet they're, 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 they continue to do this, and they continue to, to keep their positions at respected medical and research facilities. So that's a problem, too. Obviously, we don't have enough time on this podcast to go into it, um, but that really does seem to be a major problem within the scientific community. Wow. So returning back to the, the actual study on sperm counts, you know, you, you mentioned when talking about causation versus correlation, there could be other factors. You know, what do you think um, are some of the other factors that could be affecting men's sperm counts? And then, you know, we we do know that 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 uh, baby making is slowing down in this country. So what what is it? Is it sperm counts or what what do you think could also be going on? Well, look, the, um, you know, the one, one criticism of this study, there have been a few articles that have come out that have been critical. And one of the criticisms of this study, and one thing that kind of made me sort of sit up when I was first looking at it, is that they didn't really consider the other things that can affect a man's sperm count, okay? And those things are like smoking, alcohol consumption, drug use, mm-hmm. are they overweight, um, do they currently sur- uh, suffer from some sort of medical condition? Um, what kind of medications are they using? Do they have a history of cancer or other diseases? And the rather obvious detail of whether any of these men experienced any kind of injury in their pelvic or abdominal area mm-hmm. or in their testicular area, these, these are sort of important questions which were not really asked of these men. Now, it's important to also say that this latest study is it's what's called a meta-analysis. They didn't actually go out and, and get sperm from men. They didn't collect information. <laughs> they looked at already previously done studies um, with limited information and, and, and 
questionable um, uh, sourcing of, of the samples. And so, you know, th- this study is just absurd. It's like, as I, I have, a, a, I have a, a, an example in the story, and, you know, I said, you know, it, it's just as easily, they could have just as easily have said that countries where snack-sized containers of Jell-O pudding are available, men have lower sperm count, okay? Or <laughs> just, it, it's just as like they could have said countries where the color purple is, uh, you know, men wear a lot of the color purple, rose for, I mean, it's just absurd. You can pick anything out of the ether. You can pick anything and say, but these activists are anti-chemical, anti-plastic activists. I know that sounds weird, but really, there are people out there who dedicate their life to saying you shouldn't have, we shouldn't have plastics out there. Um, and so that's, that's one that, you know, that's one of the issues. Now, this is the other thing that we all have to keep in mind. You know, their study says in Western countries, this is, a, this is critical because it's in Western countries. And, I mean, it's, it's easy to say that because that's where plastics, you know, you know in, in developing nations, they may not have as many plastic items, computers and cars and things like that. And so it was easy to sort of say in, in, in Western countries, um, this is available, or this was, this was, uh, and, and, you know, and they make the point, oh, and look, you know, no one's having kids in, in Europe, in EU countries, no one's having kids. And that is actually true. No one is having kids. I mean, Italy has, a, I mean, they're, they're like going extinct. There's not going to be Italians. Um, and, you know, give it a couple decades. They're just, they don't have kids. But the reason is choice. It's over. It's it, it, now in Denmark. They're actually having a baby boom for whatever reason. But but um and and, and some countries aren't as bad. But in general, EU countries, the birth rate is very low. And uh, you know I, that is choice. They have they have chosen in many cases. It is is that people have chosen to go through life childless. Um and so you know again you can make all these scary suggestions and assumptions. When, you know, look, in Western countries, as, as a country becomes more economically developed, we see birth rates lowering. We're seeing it in China. We're seeing it in India. The, and mm-hmm. as a country becomes more wealthy, as it develops, as jobs are created, as people are able to get out of the fields and able to get more industrial jobs, they just don't have as many children. Um, so that is another area that sort of wasn't explored by, by the, the researchers. Hmm. Well, Julie, thank you for 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 kind of uh, releasing our tension and fears that you know we're going to become extinct. <laughs> um, you know, I, well, listen, Patrice, I, I, I also want to I want to I want to say thank you for for um, handling this situation um, with such class. It's not easy to talk about sperm counts and and uh, like this, so I appreciate it. Kind of an awkward situation <laughs> or awkward topic. Hey, there you go. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do want to end on a really good note, which is that you, you laid out really well your process for trying to figure out how to make sense of all of these headlines and these, this new research that comes out. You know, can you just succinctly give us a couple of suggestions for when we see these headlines, what are the things that we should do and things that we should look for? That's a great question, and people really do need better information. But look, I think the most important thing to realize is that there is profit in fear, Fear is very, very, very profitable. If you get people nervous enough, they add, and it, it, it is, it's very effective. If you get people nervous enough, they will acquiesce to government regulations or to some sort of restriction on their freedom because it will, it will make them safe. People really want to feel safe, and they want their children to be safe and healthy. And so I think understanding that motivation 
It is money. It is it is many of these activists want the government to have deeper regulations on certain industries. Understanding that, I mean, it really does call for people to be a little cynical and a little skeptical. And in some ways, I think that's sad, but we have to. You have to understand the motivations behind these these studies. They are designed to scare you. They are designed to get you to say okay to freedom-limiting regulations. So I think once you understand that, you will become a skeptic and you will sort of go, I don't know about this. And that's really all you need to do to feel better. Awesome. I think that is a great place for us to, to end. Um, Julie, thank you so much for debunking uh, another hokey study that's come out here. Folks, uh, don't worry. Sperm counts are not we are not heading into extinction. It could just be a sign that our countries are, are continuing to develop. Um, so we hope everybody enjoys today's program. Um, feel free to visit uh, our website at iwf.org, and please do read Julie's Federalist piece that really gets into more detail on the report and on the study methodology. I hope the sperm jokes weren't too thick today. <laughs> Last one. <laughs> and we hope to have everybody back uh, for our next podcast very soon. Thank you, Julie. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by iwf.org for similar content.